And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast for Friday, September 2nd. Derek Van Riper here with Al Melchior. This looks like it's probably going to be the last weekend where we have too many options to pick up on the waiver wire in our fantasy baseball leagues. We have many reasons for that. The uh, top prospects that were promoted recently, including Corbin Carroll and Gunnar Henderson, uh, September roster expansion, adding a few more players, late season injuries, a lot of different factors in play. So whatever it is you're looking for, this is probably the last weekend where it's actually available with more than one player that can offer that category in many cases. So pretty exciting. If you still have fab left in leagues that use fab, this is going to be a great weekend to spend a lot of it because the last push of players is basically happening right now. Al, the big question though, if you play in NFBC style leagues, there's a very good chance that both Corbin Carroll and Gunnar Henderson are available because people weren't drafting them and holding them all season. And because they hadn't played in the big leagues this season, they were not eligible to be picked up last weekend. It's unlikely you'd be able to afford both in most fab scenarios out there anyway, especially in the NFBC where bidding is very competitive. So I've asked you this question before. We had a look at both players in the big leagues for a handful of days now. I'm curious to know if you had your shot at both this weekend who would you be putting at the top of your bid queue between Carroll and Henderson? I would be going for Corbin Carroll over Gunnar Henderson, but that's just, you know, that's just me. Uh, if I had a real need in the infield as opposed to the outfield, it's close enough that I would flip them. Uh, it's, I really think it's, it's super close. And basically the tiebreaker for me is what Carroll did as compared to Henderson after getting promoted to AAA. Obviously, both did great after getting promoted. But with Carroll, we actually saw the strikeout rate go down a little and the walk rate go up a little. That's that's incredible. Uh, so there's nothing wrong with what Henderson did. He, pretty, he had a little bit of erosion, which you expect. Carroll somehow avoided that. And it's all you know, small sample uh, stuff. So again, it, it's close to a tiebreaker. Um, but uh, I do think that positional need should rule the day in, in whatever your decisions are. Yeah, I'm going Carroll over Henderson if I have that choice to make as well. It's a tiny difference between them. And yes, I would agree with you. If your roster is loaded up in the outfield already, you could flip the order and it's not like you're leaving a ton of potential value on the table. We mentioned this earlier in the week. There's going to be the occasional days where Carroll especially is not going to play against lefties, but even Henderson will probably get occasional days off down the stretch too because the Orioles are mixing and matching and thinking about rookie of the year award eligibility considerations which uh, can be removed by service time, which were past that threshold, but also by actual at-bats. So that's a small downside for both of those guys with playing time. I think we're talking about a handful of starts at most in the final four and a half, five weeks of the season. So I wouldn't worry too much about that compared to other players that we're looking at 
in the broader player pool. Uh, but there's more than these guys among high-end prospects getting an opportunity. They're kind of in a class of their own. The Yankees have decided to make a move and bring up Oswald Peraza. They have been lacking production at shortstop for a while now. I think there were people out there that were hoping Anthony Volpe might get the call. Volpe moved to AAA with Peraza going to the big league club. And while Peraza is not quite Volpe as a hitter, he brings a lot to the table offensively. He's 33 for 38 as a base stealer this year at AAA. Some questions about how much he's really going to get on base, how much he's going to hit against top-level pitching. It was a 329 OBP for Peraza so far this season at AAA. But there's also power, too. Developing power the last couple of seasons in the upper levels of the minor leagues. He's been young for the level everywhere he's played. So even though it's not Anthony Volpe, this is still a really interesting player that the Yankees have added to the fold for the stretch run. Well, and the question that I think everybody should have is whether or not he really is going to slide into an everyday role. And I'm encouraged just because Oswaldo Cabrera, when he got called up, it wasn't clear what his role was going to be. I thought maybe he was going to be the one who could succeed Isaiah Kiner-Falefa at shortstop. He's wound up settling in in right field uh, and playing much more regularly than than really I could have hoped for. He's not you know, hit all that much, so I don't know how long that's going to last. But the point here just being that the Yankees aren't afraid to call someone up and give them regular run to the position. So it, it seems like... Peraza is is being called up to play regularly, but we can only really kind of assume. Uh, and I think because of that that uncertainty, I'd be really sort of averse to uh, bidding a lot in 12-teamers on Peraza unless I just really, really needed the steal's potential. Yeah, I think just kind of throwing it out there in, in abstract terms, if, let's say you've got 25% of your original fab budget to go I'd spend more than half of that on one of Carroll or Henderson at this point in the season, just as long as I've got enough you know, for min bids to keep replacing players in the next few weeks. I'd feel fine with pretty much any big bid. I'd probably go only go about a quarter of the budget for Peraza if I was desperate for speed, and I think you're right to be a little more careful with him in a more shallow format like a 12-team league. Uh, but I think the thing that works in Peraza's favor, he's not a downgrade defensively from Kiner Falefa, and that was the main justification for sticking with IKF as long as they did. So I think because he can also play great defense at a premium position, that might keep the playing time close to an everyday sort of role unless he proves to be an actual downgrade offensively. But I think there's actually a pretty good chance this works out. And for anybody that doesn't have enough money fab-wise to get to Carroll and Henderson, he's a pretty good fallback option to have available in the same week. Uh, in a lot of leagues, but he's not the only one. We've seen Garrett Mitchell up for the Brewers now for about a week. I think he's sort of angling into a big side platoon role, working with Tyrone Taylor in center field. Uh, the big question we've brought up with Mitchell over the course of the week is really how much in-game power is there right now? He's done a good job drawing walks throughout his time in the minor leagues. There is a good bit of swing and miss in his profile, um, but as a left-handed hitter, he'd be on the big side of platoon in center field. We did see Christian Yelich leave a game early on Thursday night against Arizona. He's day-to-day -day with what they're calling neck discomfort right now. So it could be more than a big side platoon role. There's one complicating factor, though, that was added to the Brewers roster uh, just in the last 24 hours, as Sturry Ruiz is also up. So two speedsters joining the outfield mix for the Brewers. 
how does the playing time work? I guess we got to keep an eye on the DH spot too, where Andrew McCutcheon could receive a few more days off if they want to keep mixing and matching younger players in the outfield and, and maybe take some of the defensive responsibilities off of Yelich down the stretch. Yeah, and McCutcheon already has been trending towards a lesser role. So you could see a situation where both Mitchell and Ruiz get enough playing time to to rack up some steals, perhaps it feels weird to talk about racking up when there's a month left, but you know, such as it is uh, enough playing time that they'd be worth bidding on in 15 teamers. I don't know that there's enough there offensively otherwise uh, from steals to really take much of an interest uh, in anything shallower than a 15 team league. Yeah. I just, I like both of these players from a rotisserie perspective, even though both, Mitchell and Ruiz, I think, have some shorter-term questions about what exactly we're going to get out of their respective profiles. I, I think the the question with Ruiz is almost more about his defense, and I think having someone like Mitchell, who's another good quality center fielder, probably pushes Ruiz more into that corner outfield playing time mix. So how they make the pieces fit, hopefully we'll get a little more clarity about Yelich and just what their intentions are over the course of their four-game set in Arizona. But I think Mitchell would be another notch below a player like Peraza in terms of what I would bid. I think the, the playing time is a little more in flux. And I think the the in-game power is just enough of a question where I could see Mitchell being more of a one or a two category player, speed being that primary category in the short term. So you do want to account for that. Another really interesting player, though, in Cincinnati is Spencer Steer. I think you got to check the eligibility on the various sites you might play on. I think in many situations, he's going to be second base eligible to start because that's where he played the most in the minors last season. And the Reds are probably going to give him a lot of looks around the infield, maybe even in a corner outfield spot on occasion. That's what they were doing at AAA Louisville prior to his promotion. Uh, Steer is one of the prospects they received back from the Twins in the Tyler Malley trade earlier this summer. Uh, So how does Steer stack up to some of the other players that we've talked about so far when you can see maybe a path to a larger role for him compared to almost anybody we've talked about so far for the final four and a half weeks? Well, one of the things that I mentioned in this week's waiver column is that if you miss out on Carol or Henderson and, you know, facing facts, most of us are going to, uh, you know, or we just haven't saved up enough money to, to even really compete. Uh, there's not a lot of players you talked about there, you know, being kind of something out there for everybody, but there's actually a surprising lack of power. That's, that's really in kind of the sweet spot of, you know, available enough to pick up in a 12 teamer, but actually to have enough power to, to be viable in a 12 teamer. If steer can play regularly. And, and to me, that is a big if um, he might, he might fill that void. Uh, because there's just an awful lot of power there that, um, you know, certainly for the home games in Cincinnati, uh, you think that it would uh, it would avail itself. Uh, but yeah, I have some questions about the playing time. Obviously, there's always questions about just the, the first exposure to major league pitching. But yeah, one of the of all these players we're going to talk about, I mean, definitely one of the more interesting power bats who really should be available uh, in a wide swath of leagues. Yeah, and I think compared to some of the other power sources we're going to talk about, there seems to be a better floor in the offensive profile for Spencer Steer. So that plus the park, plus the multiple pass, the playing time, maybe picks up a second position before the end of the season and becomes a little more versatile for the last couple of weeks for our lineups. All of those things uh, kind of steer him into a position where he's at least a, a good 
third or fourth option for a lot of people just looking for a bat, maybe more of a bench bat in a 12-team league, but probably someone that starts right away in anything with 14 or more teams. I think we've got a couple other players that we should get to that are not necessarily top prospects, but they are playing a lot and maybe even producing more than expected. Gavin Sheets, I think he'd kind of fit into the power-ish hitters. I think the barrel rate's down a little bit this year compared to last year, but he's playing quite a bit right now for the White Sox, really sort of settling in as their primary option in right field. He occasionally sits against lefties, but he's been hitting fifth most days over the past week or so. What do you make of Gavin Sheets at this point? Is he a little bit underrated maybe because he doesn't have that prospect appeal that many other players were chasing this weekend have? I think so. I think that's going to be the case for just about any, you know, veteran. And again, not that Sheets has been around that long, but, you know, somebody who's not a rookie or hasn't just been called up. I think, you know, all those players are going to be a little bit overshadowed this weekend. But I, I, I'm hedging on that a little bit because I agree with everything that you say about Sheets uh, hitting really well. Uh, White Sox in a vacuum have a really great schedule this week, <laughs> but not really for Sheets because they're on a road trip. Sheets has not hit a home run on the road this year. They've all been at home. Uh, there's a number of lefties on the schedule. And you did mention he sometimes does start against lefties, sometimes doesn't. But his splits against lefties aren't really that great. And he hasn't really played that much against them. So it's it's a great schedule for most of the lineup. It's a really poor schedule for, for Gavin Sheets. Hmm. Kind of important to keep that in mind, too, because every ounce of playing time, especially this time of year, is uh, very important as we're trying to make our weekly decisions. The uh, thing I wanted to pass along that I just saw come through on Twitter and in, in one of the comments on the YouTube stream, uh, Oswald Oswald Peraza is not in the lineup today. Uh, Isaiah kiner left is playing shortstop. I don't know if that's necessarily indicative of their plans going forward. Sometimes that first day up, there's logistical issues and other factors that can keep a player out of the lineup. So keep an eye on that situation throughout the weekend just to get a better sense of what the Yankees are likely to do beyond the next couple of days. Uh, Some more kind of veteran types that are are still sitting out there. We have Brendan Donovan, who continues to play all over the place, and Corey Dickerson getting extra playing time right now in St. Louis. Al, Corey Dickerson played against every righty that the Cardinals saw between August 23rd and August 30th. They just saw a lefty on Wednesday, so he got a day off before the team had a day off on Thursday. And Brendan Donovan has only had one day off since August 21st. So I'm curious how you're prioritizing those two players right now, given the Cardinals upcoming schedule and just given their recent usage. Well, you know, again, they're they're both playing pretty regularly with, with Dickerson. You do have to worry about lefties. But looking at the schedule coming up this week for the Cardinals, it's a great schedule. And I did include both of them in the waiver column because I wanted to get some Cardinals in there. They've got four home games against the Nationals. Uh, they will not face Cade Cavalli. Um, and then they've got three games in Pittsburgh. So basically seven games, seven matchups that range from decent to really favorable. Uh, so, you know, any Cardinal that you can get in your uh, fancy lineup this week, uh, it is worth prioritizing. I think Donovan, unless again, you're just, you're all set for batting average. You, you don't need somebody who's going to, um, score, you know, score runs and help you in that category. Unless that's your particular circumstance. I don't see a reason not to try to add Donovan and your 12 teamers Dickerson. 
Uh, I, I think there's slightly less appeal there. He's also much, much more available. So not only should you add Dickerson and your 15 teamers and your, your deeper mixed leagues, but you, you most likely can do that. Um, 12 team. I, I think that's, that's where I draw the line. It would have to be a pretty deep 12 teamer for, for me to want to add, want to add Dickerson, but actually they're, they're fairly similar in terms of profile they're, They should help you with batting average. Dickerson, maybe a little bit more for RBIs, less for runs. But um, yeah, I think both of them could could be very, very, uh, very helpful just for this coming week. Yeah, Donovan's recent stretch of starts has included turns at first, second, third, left, right, and in the DH role as well. So he's played six different spots in a matter of like 10 or 11 days. Clearly the, the glue guy right now that they're leaning on to just fill in and basically cobble together an everyday role. I do think when you're looking at someone like Donovan, you might also be looking at Jake McCarthy. And McCarthy doesn't bring the same positional versatility since he only plays in the outfield. Uh, but if you were thinking that McCarthy's playing time might tick down a little bit with the addition of Corbin Carroll, you have been wrong so far. I think McCarthy is actually pushing his way into that sort of 12-team range, whereas previously we looked at him as a, a guy with interesting tools that made sense in 14, 15-team mixed leagues and anything deeper He's started 12 of the last 13 games for the Diamondbacks and continues to show a nice combination of power and speed. Yeah, that he does. And um, I, I would put him somewhere maybe, I would put it this way, if you really were needing power more than average, I think I would uh, probably put McCarthy ahead of Donovan, but um, definitely, definitely ahead of Dickerson uh, in any kind of need in any kind of league format. Um but yeah, he's kind of, you know, in the, in the middle of ground. Like I, I, I don't totally buy into him as somebody who's going to help me with, uh, with home runs from here on out. But, you know, enough of everything that uh, I, I would agree with you. He's kind of on the periphery of the 12 team discussion. Uh, certainly five outfielder leagues. Uh, I think you could do a lot worse. Still showing 98th percentile sprint speed this season. Uh, six homers and 239 plate appearances on the year for McCarthy at the big league level, but 12 stolen bases. Got the K rate down at 20.9%. Still drawing some walks as well. I'm interested to see how he fits into their longer term plans because he looks like at least a decent fantasy player. Uh, even beyond this season, as long as the playing time is consistent enough for him to give us the volume that we're looking for. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. To move on to a few possible late bloomers and recent surprises on the playing time front, how about Sean Bouchard getting opportunities for the Rockies right now? They brought up Michael Toglia as well. Uh, both of these guys have started three games in a row, and 
Tagen is at least a prospect we've heard of before. There's a lot of swing and miss in his profile, but Bouchard's one of those players that I don't know if I've actually seen him or noticed him on a leaderboard or heard anyone really talk about him at any point this season. And I wonder if he's sort of in that that really limited group of players that because of when he was drafted, coming out of college, losing a season in 2020 when the minor league season didn't happen at the start of the pandemic, if he just kind of fell by the wayside, didn't make prospect lists, was always kind of old for the level. He seems like he could do a little bit of everything. And if the Rockies want to keep giving him playing time down the stretch, there's got to be at least a case to think about him and Toglia for that matter as home streamers in leagues where you can fit players in like that. Yeah, exactly. That's what I would think of. If you've got room to stash them uh, and and then stream them for the for the home stands, uh, I like. There's you know there's some appeal there. Both of them have hit for for some considerable power in the minors this year. I maybe a little bit more skeptical of Taglia in the short term, even though like you said, he's more of the prospect between the two. But um, just played 17 games at AAA and then just absolutely mashed there. But uh, that's you know that's a, a big uh, a big move up from AA to just a, a cup of coffee in AAA and now uh, uh, up with the Rockies. And uh, the the numbers at, at AA were you know not that impressive. A lot of strikeouts, a 2.34 average this year. So yeah, I, I think the appeal there is uh, is home streamers for both of them, and we're talking 15-team leagues where you would actually have room to stash them. And I think if I had to take a, a short-term chance on one of them, I like Bouchard a little bit more. He was 12 for 14 as a base dealer at AAA, 69 games there. He's in his age 26 season, so again, not young for the level, but did that with 20 home run pop over those 69 games. Yes, it's the high-altitude environments uh, of the, the PCL, but he walks, he kept the strikeouts in check, and was 49% better than league average. That's far enough above league average where even in that environment, I'm intrigued by uh, what he's been able to do. I think the the reduced swing and miss from Bouchard compared to Toglia is the the key difference for me if you're looking to speculate on one of those Rockies. Uh, similar to the question I asked you about Jake McCarthy a few minutes ago, I'm curious if Joey Meneses in the last couple of weeks has carved out a role for you in some more shallow leagues. Is he someone that you'd think about as a corner filler now in a 12-team league if he's still floating around on the waiver wire? Borderline at best, uh, and maybe also more of a categorical need pick that uh, I, I'm not sure I trust the power, even though, again, upon call up, he was hitting for lots of power. Uh, but just the, the contact skills make me pretty confident that, that the floor is going to be really high for batting average for Manessa. So if that's something I need, then I would consider him as a corner infielder and a 12-teamer. Uh, outside of that particular situation, I, I'm still looking at him more like 14-15 team viable. Yeah, seven homers already in 104 plate appearances. A really good story for a guy getting his first opportunity in the big leagues as a 30-year-old. Uh, Age-to-level stuff for him, of course. It's hard to put into context what that really means because so few players are still playing in the upper levels of the minor leagues at that point. Uh, it reminds me a lot of Frank Schwindel a year ago, just in terms of uh, the low K rate, the power, an opportunity on a rebuilding team to probably stick on the roster to begin next season. I don't know if I'll have a lot of Joey Meneses on my teams next season, but I'm warming up to the idea of, of trying to pick him up and, and use him in some leagues where I'm looking for a little bit of corner help down the stretch. Spencer Torkelson is back 
Does it matter? Are we excited about Spencer Torkelson in redraft, or is this still more of a longer-term sort of play where if you're in a keeper or dynasty league and you're allowed to still trade at this point in the season, you might be interested in trading for him in those contexts, but you're not really worried about him in mixed leagues for the final month of the season? Yeah, I'm. if he had better better AAA numbers this year, I think I would be all about bidding on him this weekend in 15-team leagues, but he didn't. Uh, there was just some sort of decline this year. Uh, I'd love to, you know, at some point know what, what the story is there. Maybe he just really got out of whack um, after struggling for, for month after month with the Tigers. But uh, it, it just, to me, seems improbable that after struggling in the majors, getting sent down, really having much lower levels of production even at Toledo for him to come back up and then be the sort of player that we were expecting uh, back in April. It just seems really improbable. So uh, it would have to be a pretty deep league. Yeah. I think maybe in a 15 team league, he'd be a contingency bid right now, but we just need to see a step forward before we can trust Torkelson enough to want to play him in our lineups. Long-term future should still be pretty bright there. Uh, We'll probably talk about some of the, Prospects that underperform this year on a future episode, uh, midweek episode of this podcast. Another Tiger that came up recently, Ryan Kreidler, debuting at third base on Friday. Probably going to move around the infield a little bit. The numbers of AAA Toledo is actually a pretty good OBP with a low batting average, but 15 for 16 as a base dealer and some pop along the way, eight home runs this season. I think you're chasing him more as a, a cheap source of middle infield speed, and you're kind of hoping that anything else he provides is just a bonus. And I think that the question here is, how much does he play? Do you think with moving around a little bit, he ends up with an everyday role or very close to it for the rest of the season? I'm not expecting it. Maybe he hits his way, uh, if he gets off to a good start, he hits his way into uh, a, a semi-regular role at least. But uh, I, I think DVR, the way that you frame this is exactly right, that um, you, you pick him up in deeper leagues for some steals potential and anything you, you get uh, besides that is just gravy. Yeah, that's that's how I'm treating him, uh, at least at <laughs> this point. Uh, another guy from the where did this guy come from folder In Houston this time, David Hensley has been picking up playing time for the Astros, 26 years old, put up great numbers at AAA before his promotion, had a 298, 420, 478 slash line, 10 homers, 20 steals, that was over 464 plate appearances, playing a bit this week because Aledmiz Diaz and Jordan Alvarez have been missing time, and Hensley played all over the place. He's played at least 15 games at first, second, third, and short at AAA. Played both middle infield spots last year. So uh, I'm intrigued. I just don't know in what types of leagues I'm going to actually want to pick him up beyond deep keeper leagues and and AL-only formats this weekend. Yeah, I think he's pretty much AL-only for me, uh, partly because uh, once Alvarez is back, I, I don't think there's really any playing time for Hensley. And also just it's it's an interesting profile because when you look at what he did uh, in Sugarland, I mean, the, the most attractive part of the line uh, from a fantasy perspective is the 20 steals. Uh, but it, it, it's, you know, that's kind of a recent development uh, for Hensley. So uh, the, the power's always been kind of moderate at best. And uh, so even if there were regular playing time, you're kind of banking on him continuing to be a base stealer when he wasn't that much of one prior to 2022. And uh, and I don't think the playing time is, is going to be there for very long. 
I think it's kind of a similar situation to Sean Bouchard, who we talked about earlier, but I think Sean Bouchard has a clearer path to play a lot more in Colorado down the stretch. Hensley's probably more of a bench guy, extra sort of player for them. If they run into another bit of injury problems in the infield, maybe that extends his opportunity there. But uh, just a name that I really hadn't thought about or seen prior to the recent opportunity he's received with the Astros. Here's a name that used to be on the radar, and he's getting an opportunity at the big league level now in Oakland. Dermis Garcia, big-time power, a lot of swing and miss. That's been the story pretty much throughout his entire time as a pro. I just saw the highlight of the 462-foot home run he hit earlier this week off of Anibal Sanchez. And look, the the raw power is big-time. Do you trust that he'll make enough contact to have that pay off? Because if you were looking for... If you were looking for home runs on the wire this weekend, and third base has been a problem spot in mixed leagues pretty much all season long, it might be tempting to give Garcia a shot, especially because the bids here are going to be much, much lower than some of the the top-end players that we've discussed so far. Right, and I kind of had that in mind before like when we were talking about Spencer Steer and players that could help you with home runs, uh, but have enough playing time and, and Give you enough besides the power to to be worth looking at in some you know maybe moderate sized leagues. I don't have Garcia there yet just because of the really high strikeout rates. I mean, I think the fact that he got his strikeout rate down to around thirty percent this year was probably what has earned him uh, a couple of call ups with the A's uh, because you know the the last couple of years in the minors they were strikeout rates that were above thirty five percent and that just wasn't going to play. So I think it's low enough that uh, you know. He's worth giving a shot. I have already picked him up in an ale only. He'll be somewhere in my list of, of contingent bids in, in 15 teamers this weekend, but that's about as shallow as I plan on going. Who do you believe in more, Taglia or Dermis Garcia? I would actually say Garcia. Um, I I trust the playing time more. I think there's more of an opportunity for him there from here till the end of the season. And the power, I mean, the power is impressive. That's always been there. It's just been the strikeout rates that have been the problem. And I don't really uh, know that Taglia is going to be any better in that regard. Yeah, they're pretty similar profiles. Uh, I do think there's more platoon risk with Taglia. So I'd probably be on the Dermis Garcia, Dermis Garcia side of this uh, as well. Uh, Yeah, I I don't know why. It's not, it's Dermis for sure. It's not, it's not Dermis like Thermis. It's Dermis. That's. I need, I need to put an accent on there for my own sake because I'm me. A couple other names that I think are interesting on the the position player side. Luis Campusano is getting some opportunities in San Diego right now because Jorge Alfaro is on the IL. I thought Campusano would be up a lot sooner this season. I thought he'd get traded at the trade deadline when the Padres made that, that big flurry of moves. But he's still in San Diego. Uh, in what types of leagues are you thinking about Campusano as a possible upgrade? Not, I mean, mono, I, I suppose. Um, but, uh, you know, my mono leagues, I don't know that he's an upgrade over uh, who I've already got. So I think maybe uh, second catcher in mono leagues is about it. And, you know, I, I wish I could feel good about saying, yeah, go and add him 15 teamers, maybe even think shallower. It's just the Padres really love Aaron Nola. Or, well, of course, we all love Aaron Nola. I mean, Austin Nola. Uh, <laughs> uh, so it just, the, you know, the playing time hasn't really been there much uh, with this latest call up for Campusano. And, and I don't really expect him to log that many plate appearances uh, between now and the end of the season. 
yeah, I do think it's it's deep two catcher leagues for now. I hope that more playing time opens up for him between now and the start of next season. Let's move over to some starting pitchers. Jack Flaherty nearing a return from the IL. He's already 80% rostered in CBS leagues. So we're talking about a pretty small number of leagues where he's available. But given that they brought him back a little more carefully this time than last time, do you have uh, more reasons for optimism that he'll not only stay healthy, but maybe get back to being the player he was before the injuries really slowed him down this season? I do have some some faith that the Cardinals organization is handling this in a way that, you know, with them clearly headed towards a postseason berth, that they're they're being smart about it. But I don't even think you have to be that that generous about it to try to pick him up where he's available. And again, where he's available is, is shadow leagues right now. Um, just because if you have any room at all to stash Flaherty, this is a player who a couple years ago I was was fully buying into as a fantasy ace. I think he can still be that. So if he just gives you a few starts down the stretch of that quality, it'll be worth it to just pick him up, stash him this week, see how he does in his first start back, and, and proceed from there. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I, I think the ceiling is still high enough. He could make an impact in those shallow leagues where he's available. The team behind him plays great defense. Even if the K rate is still down because the stuff doesn't come all the way back, that can still work and, and Flaherty can still be viable. So uh, I'm actually encouraged by the longer path back this time. I think they are trying to do everything in their power to make sure he is healthy and effective for them deep into the postseason. A quick question here from Trevor on the live stream. Who do we prefer between Colton Wong and Gene Segura this week at second base? Phillies home all week facing three lefties. Brewers have eight games plus three at Coors. I'm inclined to take the Coors games and go with Wong here. These are very similar players. I think Segura's probably got a a pretty pretty distinct advantage in batting average baseline. But other than that, I don't think there's much that separates the the categorical expectations between those two players. No, there really isn't. But that batting average difference can be substantial. And in, in, in almost any given week, that would mean I'm going for Segura. But the Brewers have such a great schedule this week. I would definitely go with Colton Wong. So two, two for two for Wong there. All right, hopefully that steers Trevor in the right direction. Uh, Just as we saw prospects coming up this week on the position player side, we've got a lot of prospects up on the pitching side as well. Ken Waldachuk debuted for the A's on Thursday. Command was not sharp, but at the same time, we did see some control issues with the walk rate being up at AAA throughout this season. So not a massive surprise. It's really his worst skills wart and probably the thing that determines whether or not he's kind of a mid-rotation guy that misses bats or someone who exceeds those sort of expectations. We love the park from a pitcher perspective. We've talked about that all season long, and compared to a lot of the starters the A's have been using this season, Waldachuk brings a lot more ceiling to the table. So I know there's a pretty big gap between the pitching prospects as a group compared to guys like Carroll and Henderson where they're available uh, but how aggressively are you bidding on Waldachuk and and some of the other prospects that we're going to talk about is it you know 25% of your remaining budget if you're desperate for pitching for a guy like this or are you staying a little bit lighter than that no that that sounds appropriate if i'm going to go lighter it's only just because i think there's just such a discrepancy in value uh between Corbin and Henderson and or uh uh, Carolyn Henderson and uh, and Walter Chuck and kind of the rest of the field. But 
pitching is really what you need. And again, we keep talking about uh, categorical need, positional need. If that's something that's really more of a priority for you, I think 25% of your remaining budget is more than appropriate. Maybe you could even go a little bit deeper than that because uh, he's got probably the of, of the recent call-ups, the clearest path to just a continuous role in, in a rotation, got probably the most uh, strikeout upside, not only because of rate, but again, uh, the number of innings uh, that he's likely to get where he can compile some strikeouts as opposed to, you know, for example, Hunter Brown, who's who's going to be limited uh, in terms of innings. So yeah, if pitching is your, is your need, then uh, yeah, I'd say go at least that, that aggressive. Here's a tough one. Cody Morris, who's actually going to make a start for the Guardians on Friday in place of Zach Plesak. He's been down with an injury for a good portion of this year. It was a Terry's major strain in his shoulder. Had that injury not happened, Morris probably would have been called up at the very beginning of the season. Might have even broke camp as a starter for the Guardians. I think he has that kind of, of stuff. Injury has been a big part of his career so far, but when he has been healthy, he's missed a ton of bats. Doesn't have a, a terrible walk rate, but has maybe some occasional command issues. What do you do with Morris in leagues where he's available, given a little bit of uncertainty about how exactly he's going to be used by the Guardians beyond this turn on Friday? Yeah, I think he's more of somebody you get for ratios help, maybe uh, maybe strikeouts. But I, I want to qualify how I say that because in a 12-teamer, uh, Morris would not be the pitcher that I'm targeting uh, for strikeouts. That would probably be Waldachuk. So uh, Morris, I think at least that the initial plan, as I had read it, was that he was going to have that role more like Hunter Brown is going to have with Houston. So uh, maybe he, he vultures some wins and some uh, three or four inning relief appearances. I, I think that's probably what we're going to see more of down the stretch. Uh, and so for me, that that really takes him off the table in 12-team leagues. Yeah, I think the problem for Morris in the short term is stretching out because during his time at AAA, it was mostly two and three inning outings. So it's going to take at least a turn or two before he even gets close to being able to go five innings in a start. That's going to be a limiting factor. I think comparing him to Hunter Brown is very fair in the short term. But the the news that's coming out of Cleveland right now is that Zach Plesak may have suffered a hand injury uh, that could have happened when he punched the ground after giving up a, a homer to Jake Lamb in his last outing in Seattle. So still waiting to see a little more on that. Uh, keeping an eye on the Twitter feed just to see if we get some clarity. So this could be more than just a spot start for Cody Morris. It's just a question of how quickly he's going to get into a position where he'll be eligible to get wins at a particular start. Stuff is excellent. Um, comparing him to Hunter Brown is very fair. And I think with Brown, I keep wondering if the Astros will take some of their their starters like Christian Javier, who hasn't really done it for a full season before, Luis Garcia, who's faded late in seasons before, if they're going to give any of those guys a late season breather and either have Brown work in tandem with them or possibly make a couple of spot starts. But at this point, Morris versus Brown if you're looking at one, you're probably looking at the other, but it's tough to roster them in shallow leagues in the short term, even though they have a very high ceiling. I, I tell you what, given this update uh, in regard to Plezak, I think that they they are very comparable. Um, but I think I would give the give the nod to Morris, not only because now it sounds like there's maybe more of an opportunity for him to start and more of an incentive for him to get stretched a little further out. But they've both been very good strikeout pitchers in the minors. But Morris, and again, limited in, in, uh, in innings because of injuries, 
I, I mean, good is not really the right adjective to talk about his strikeout rate above 50% this year. Again, very limited innings at the grade around 15, but he also spent some time in AAA last year and this year and last year combined still a strikeout rate above 40% uh, for, uh, for Cody Morris. So yeah, I think there's a little bit more upside in the short term for him as compared to Brown, but certainly nothing wrong with rostering Brown um, 14, 15 team leagues. Now, I, I think we're still awaiting confirmation, or at least I have not seen it, so I'll see if I can find one while we're talking. But Luis Patino seemingly gets another opportunity for the Rays because of the Shane McClanahan injury. He sort of looks like that extra up-and-down starter for this Rays team right now. McClanahan likely to miss at least a few turns since he's got that shoulder impingement. Could be out for a little bit longer given the, the importance of McClanahan's long-term health for this organization. It hasn't quite been the season I was hoping for from Luis Patino. I thought he was going to be one of the big breakout pitchers of this year. Injuries have yet again been a huge part of the story. I think innings-wise, we're still talking about Patino being at 50 and two-thirds innings for the entire season, including rehab and time spent at AAA. So on the one hand, they can use him like a regular starter if they want to. He's not going to hit any sort of season innings cap. On the other hand, he hasn't been the pitcher I expected him to be when healthy, but in what types of leagues might you be interested in Patino this weekend? 15 team leagues as a contingent pick, just because at this point you're, you're trying to maximize your finish regardless of where you're at in the standings. And I I don't really perceive that there's that much upside to relying on him at this point. Maybe, yeah, maybe something clicks and we see him uh, over the the latter uh, part of the schedule be more like that pitcher uh, that that we've expected. And and maybe we see that too, just because again, we're talking about a lot of reinforcements coming in uh, teams that are out of content, got a contention, just giving different players a try. Maybe the level of difficulty in some of those starts will be a little bit lower, but all in all, I just don't have a lot of, a lot of trust in Patino to pitch deep into games, to, be the kind of run preventer that I would need to keep, keep my ratios low. So um, yeah, he's, he's just really for me, a contingent, uh, a a contingency player. I think I like him a little more than you do. I think the one thing that does work in his favor right now, the last time he pitched at AAA was August 31st. He'd be on regular rest to start on Monday. If the Rays want to use him in that spot, Uh, five and two thirds innings last time out, the Rays have let him face 20 or more batters in each of his last three AAA outings, so maybe it actually looks more like a regular starter's usage. And even though there is some ratios risk, especially with the walk rate being a little higher than you'd like it to be, uh, I I want to bet on young talent where I can. I've got enough leagues where I've messed up my ratios where it's not going to hurt me that bad if it goes wrong. So that's probably where some of this optimism is still coming from. And hopefully we'll get some confirmation soon about how they intend to work him into the rotation. But it looks like he's the guy that steps in while McClanahan is unavailable. Uh, DL Hall is back up for the Orioles, but he's going to work out of the bullpen. You know, given the, given the situation with Felix Bautista going to be the new closer, I don't think there's much you can really do with DL Hall in the short term. I think the only... The only scenarios in which I'm really trying to pick him up right now would be AL-only leagues as sort of the the ninth pitcher that I could use because I think there's going to be some strikeouts and he might be really effective in a bullpen role. But really the focus for me would be any sort of keeper league where he might have been available and you could hold him for next year because I think they're going to give him every chance to open next season as a member of their rotation. I would expect the same thing. So I think that's the right approach. I have pretty close to zero interest in Hall for uh, redraft leagues right now, but 
yeah, definitely check your your uh, Dynasty League waivers because uh, there's still a lot of long-term value there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the pitcher that's a little more available, though, for the Orioles probably won't command massive bids, but is starting to get on the radar. I saw a pretty good bid on him in our, our Keeper League that we play in that runs pickups overnight on Thursday. It's Kyle Bradish. The matchup this week is a tough one. It's home against the Blue Jays. Orioles will see the Blue Jays a lot down the stretch, so... Uh, if they're going to be a surprise team that gets into the postseason, they at least are matching up with a team that they're trying to chase down. But even if you don't want to use Bradish against the Jays this week, he does get the Nationals the following week for his next start. So maybe you're at a point where you could stash him for the future. And since rejoining the Orioles rotation back on July 29th, Bradish has a 266 ERA, 38 Ks and 40 and two thirds innings just against 14 walks. Yet another Orioles pitcher that has started to find his stride this year. And I've said it maybe six weeks ago, and I'll say it again. I think we have to trust this organization when they have pitchers figuring it out now. That's not something we've been able to do because the park has played differently in the past. And you know, frankly, the, the talent baselines were probably lower in past years for a lot of the pitchers they were trying to put in the rotation as well. Yeah, we and we've talked a lot about different pitchers in the Orioles rotation, but... Bradish to me has a little bit more appeal uh, than than the others, uh, just because even when things weren't going that well for him, he was fairly close to a strikeout per inning pitcher. The real difference for him uh, in those two time periods that you were talking about DVR um, since since returning and being so much more effective is he's just squelched the long ball. Uh, he was giving up a lot of home runs previously. Uh, not giving up very much hard contact since. So it's not like a fluky thing that all of a sudden the the home runs have evaporated. And as long as he can keep that going, I feel good about him. And he may line up for a second start next week. Now that would also be against the Blue Jays and it would be in Toronto. Uh, so if you're a little bit nervous uh, about starting Bradish this week, or you have a situation where uh, you know he's just not necessarily one of your best options, I still think it's a good week to pick him up. Then you you've got him on your roster. You can do the wait and see with this first start against the Blue Jays, and then if he does get the two start week next week, you can maybe go in with some more confidence that uh, he can handle both of those assignments. Yeah, pretty slick move for the Orioles too. Going back to look at when they acquire Bradish, they got him as uh, part of the return in the Dylan Bundy trade back in December of 2019. And it looks like he's going to emerge to be a part of that rotation for the foreseeable future. Recent results are very good. And I think you could probably put him among the, uh, the at the top of the young pitchers that we're looking at for picking up this weekend. There are some streamers to think about. It seems like they're all Cubs, at least as far as the widely available ones go. Uh, I've noticed that Javier Assad Adrian Sampson and Drew Smiley are available in a good number of leagues. Those are all home starts. Smiley will actually face the Giants. Assad and Sampson will face the Reds. Uh, what's your interest level in those three Cubs, just given that the matchups are all at home, and especially with the Reds kind of in that rebuild mode right now, that's a pretty soft landing spot, even if you don't feel great about the skills for Assad or Sampson at this point. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I like the matchup a lot. I would I would prefer to, if I were, you know, ranking all three, I actually would probably prefer to give a little bit more priority to, to Assad, even though he's obviously the, the biggest unknown of the three. I thought about writing about Drew Smiley this week because his results have just been outstanding and consistently so for the last several weeks. Uh, but it looks pretty shaky DVR. He's not really that different of a pitcher uh, than he was previously, uh, just stranding a lot of base runners, 
Um, I, I'm not really liking the skill profile that much for Smiley. So I think especially with him facing the Giants, if he's out there, I would probably leave him out there. Yeah, I actually think if I had to start one, it might be Assad of the three. And uh, hopefully I don't have to start any of those three, but it seems like a lot of the streamers that are available are, are the guys on bad teams right now. If J.P. Sears is out there, I like J.P. Sears more than all three Cubs as one example. I think there's still some some 12-team leagues where Sears might not have been picked up. So uh, look elsewhere if you can, but if you have to choose one of the three, Javier Assad is my pick. Uh, if you're chasing saves this weekend, there actually are a couple of sources of saves. Jimmy Herget is taking over as the closer for the Angels. It looks like a pretty tough at bat for righties. Watching his delivery a little bit this week really hides the ball pretty well. I don't know how long this is going to last. Uh, I don't know if we're going to be talking about Jimmy Herget as a closer in 2023, but we're not worried about that. If you're just chasing some saves for the stretch run, is he the best available source of saves in a decent number of leagues this weekend? Well, I, I suppose if we're talking rest of season, he very well could be. Um, I think I probably would would give a little bit of an edge to Brandon Hughes over Herget. And if I were just looking for maybe, you know, this week, I would definitely um, prefer Rafael Montero. Um, I just, you know, the, the team context, the skills, uh, to me, he's probably the best pitcher out there who stands to get saves in the, in the short term. But uh, yeah, Herget, I mean, say, you know, saves are saves and he seems to have some stability in that role. So um, he's definitely worth a, worth a bid. Yeah, I, I would agree with you that Montero, where available, would actually be the, the best option of all. But Herget is the kind of guy that get cheap and he ends up with four or five saves in September. That could be a pretty big difference in that category, given how bunched up saves tend to be uh, in a lot of leagues. I'm curious to know if you're picking up Nick Martinez anywhere. Josh Hader did save a one-run lead on Wednesday. He didn't have his absolute a stuff again, but it was a, a step in the right direction, at least a small step in the right direction. So seeing the usage of Hader just a couple days ago, and then seeing prior to that that Martinez was landing save opportunities, what's the level of interest here? Is he clearly behind Herget, or is he actually a strong consideration given the longer stretch of struggles from Hader? Yeah, for me, he's after Herget because I don't think Martinez has the the uh, the upside and consistency of Montero if I just want to go the shorter term route and obviously doesn't have the the role stability that Herget or, or Hughes has so um yeah he's he's kind of at the back of the list for me I do like Hughes as a pitcher I am kind of bothered that the Cubs seem to be really flexible with the usage of their relievers right now they're yeah. they seem less likely to just turn to one guy right now so I think that's where that's where Herget sort of sneaks in. They're using him kind of like a traditional closer. And that's that's exactly what I want as a fantasy manager, even if it's not necessarily how I'd want my favorite team to manage its bullpen. Uh, some more news to get to here. Aaron Savali is going to the injured list with forearm inflammation. Looks like Xavier Curry is coming up for the Guardians. He, he's likely to start on Saturday. So uh, the clarity that we were looking for earlier on Zach Plesak is also there. He is going on the IL with a fracture in his pitching hand. So two very poorly timed injuries for that Guardians rotation. Yeah, very. Uh, but yeah, the uh, you know the intrigue then continues uh, in regard to Cody Morris. Um, so different situation that looked like just a, a few hours ago. Yeah, shout out to Star Platinum on the stream for uh, bringing that to my attention so I could make sure we we mentioned that at the end of the show. 
That is going to do it for this episode of the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Hope everybody has a safe and happy holiday weekend. Lots of great players out there to bid on, so be sure to spend spend that fab while you still can, while there are still quality players to spend it on. You can find Al on Twitter at AlMelkYourBB. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. If you don't have a subscription to The Athletic, you can get one for a dollar a month for the first six months at theathletic.com slash fantasy baseball podcast. The best deal that we run, it might not be out there for much longer. You can read everything, including Al's weekly waiver column. If you got a fantasy football draft coming up this weekend, get Jake Seeley's rankings. we got custom cheat sheets, lots of great articles about fantasy football up on the site as well. So that's going to do it for this episode of the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. We are back with you on Tuesday. Thank you.